0: M S W Media. News with swearing. The beans,
1: beans,
0: Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, October 29th, 2020. Today, Ratcliffe ad-libbed his line about the Iran hack hurting Trump. The Trump campaign leaves hundreds stranded in the freezing cold after his Omaha rally, Kushner is on tape with Woodward saying Trump overruled science in favor of reopening the country and 200,000 have died since then. The White House says it has ended the pandemic. Congratulations. The FBI Agents Association urges Trump and Biden to keep Ray on as FBI director. The New York Times anonymous op ed and subsequent book author is revealed. And 20 former Republican U.S. attorneys endorse Joe Biden. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, what's good?
2: See, I did it. Well done. I want to tell you. I'm going to, so I actually have good stuff. I could tell it, you know, during our good news segment, but I want to start the listener off with something positive. So you know that I had a virtual gala, virtual gala? No, I had a virtual Biden-Harris event uh, last night Mm -hmm. and on Facebook. I know some people aren't on Facebook for good reasons, Um, but I hosted a virtual event with 30 iconic female-like artists was like Gloria Steinem and Tammy Baldwin and you know Billie Jean King and uh I hosted and we raised $215,000
0: for the Biden victory fund last night oh my gosh that's awesome congratulations yeah that is incredible and you know virtual COVID safety high five um yeah for that our um beans listeners we've we've been doing this for a while using a special link that was given to us by the Biden campaign we raised a just a little over 200,000 for Joe and Kamala over the last couple weeks so you and me kid I know I do it I mean because I'm not like
2: performing live now like the way I'm making any sort of money is from honestly a fan you know my fans listening from tips like a tip jar and Venmo and PayPal and stuff so when I did the interview with Mary Trump live on Facebook, I basically told the audience, I'm going to, you know, donate a large portion of the tips this time, uh, to races. And so I got to donate a hundred dollars to each of six senatorial races that are super close in Montana, in North Carolina, Georgia, um, so that felt good too. So I've done my good deeds for the week, and uh, you know my bills my my bills are paid this month. So I I thought I would pay it forward, and people showed up, which was really nice. Oh, awesome, congrats! Yeah. And uh,
0: I have a I have a bill coming due on uh, November fourth. I promised. <laughs> oh God! Uh, this was <laughs> sometime last year. I uh tweeted at Tulsi Gabbard and I said, Tulsi, I will donate a thousand dollars to the charity of your choice if you stay the fuck out of the presidential race as a third party candidate. <laughs> and uh yeah, I don't know if it was because of me or cause nobody would vote for, her, but uh promise is a promise. <laughs> I'm gonna so... go with both. But at least you're honoring your debts. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so uh I need uh um uh, recommendations for a charity because I told it would. I told Tulsi it would be the charity of her choice. She hasn't gotten back to me. Super weird. Um, but uh, if you have any recommendations for that, you can send them in along with good news, confessions, and all that other stuff yes. at DailyBeansPod and click contact. Uh, our happy hour is tomorrow, 4 p.m. Pacific time. We aren't opening it to the public again because we got it crashed the last time we did that. Uh, so that's for patrons. And also for patrons, uh, we've got a new book club starting this Saturday. I'm, I'm doing this one by myself. It's the Andrew Weissman book, Where Law Ends Inside the Mueller Investigation. Uh, and we will be hosting a live election results show on obviously election night it starts i believe at 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific it is myself and kelly from two broads talking politics and uh jennifer from electorate and uh we've got some incredible guests lined up including uh frank fagluzzi andy mccabe and his family so the mcbabes will be there i know you want to see that um and uh, just a whole bunch of great guests, Barb McQuaid, and you just you need to be there, David Rothkopf. It's gonna be cool. So we will see you then. Um today I'm gonna be talking to David Enrich about the latest New York Times tax story that he helped write. And uh Democratic candidate uh, of California's 42nd district, Liam O'Mara. So that should be cool. Uh real quick in the um Al Capone's Vault story of the day, the uh anonymous op-ed writer is Miles Taylor. Dun, 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 uh, whoa. nobody cares and yeah. <laughs> the fbi agent association has asked trump and biden to keep ray on as director they like him apparently the fbi agents association so those are a couple of little brief headlines there but we have some big ones to get to so let's do it let's hit the hot notes awesome. hot notes Baby. Okay, so lead story today, and no one's talking about this on the news right now because there's so many other ridiculous headlines happening <laughs> throughout the country. Oh but God, to me, yeah. this is the this is the lead story. DNI Ratcliffe ad libbed part of that press conference last week, and I know this seems like uh, ten years ago, but this was last week that the Director of National Intelligence Ratcliffe, uh, who's totally wholly unqualified liar with zero intelligence. Um, experience, came out in a press conference with Krebs and Ray standing right behind him, you know, Chris Ray, and said that Iran had hacked voter registration databases, which was true, and that he there was a, an email that had gone out uh, threatening voters, and he inferred that that email scam uh, that, you know, it sent intimidating messages to voters saying, vote for Trump or we will come and find you. And it would list the voters address and their name and their phone number. And Ratcliffe then sort of said in passing that that was designed to hurt (laughs) Trump.
2: It's hard not to laugh.
0: I know. And we all racked our brains trying to figure out how sending a message to Democrats, by the way, and threatening them with revenge, physical bodily harm if they didn't vote for Trump, was designed to hurt Donald Trump. And we talked about uh, that and how that sounded off the cuff and wondered why Ray would stand there like that, like he was all cool with it, this obvious lie. Here's a Quick clip from last Friday's Daily Beans about that. Let's listen. Also, why I think Ratcliffe said that the uh, Iranian hack um, of the Proud Boys email that got sent to certain voters that said vote for Trump or else. uh, He insinuated that that was to hurt Trump, which makes no fucking sense. But there you have now a pretext for Trump to say they were trying to hurt me, Iran, so he doesn't have to blame Russia. Iran tried to hurt me because I got rid of the stupid nuclear Iran deal that stupid Obama made. And so they interfered in the elections. Look. And and then Russia will put out all this disinformation, sowing discord after the election, after voting, the polls close. And that that is how they will try to contest this election. So I thought it was bullshit, and I decided it was probably a pretext for Trump to contest the election. I went on to talk about how so was the you know the jamming through and the ramming through of Amy Coney Barrett. Yes, she's going to repeal everything civil rights related, but also they got her in. I said they're going to get her in before the election. She's going to decide some of these election cases, especially if it's close. That's why we have to vote in numbers too big to manipulate. Well, anyway, back to rat fuck. Was out in Politico today, from the intrepid Natasha Bertrand, our hero, Ratcliffe did indeed go off script when he alleged during a press conference last week that Iran was sending intimidating emails to Americans in order to damage President Trump. This is according to two senior administration officials with knowledge of this, of the episode. The reference to Trump was not in Ratcliffe's prepared remarks about foreign election interference. And as shown to and signed off by FBI Director Chris Wray and senior DHS official Chris Krebs. The director of the department's cybersecurity and infrastructure agency. So his prepared remarks didn't have it. Chris Ray and Krebs signed off on his prepared remarks. And apparently, Krebs and Ray were both surprised by Ratcliffe's <laughs> political aside. <laughs> which had not appeared in, prepare, in the prepared text. This is according to the officials. Yeah, but I'm betting pissed is more like it. And it was right around that time we learned that Trump was thinking of firing Chris Ray too. Interesting. Um, Ratcliffe attributed the emails to Iran, uh, but said they were, quote, designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. This raised immediate questions about how threatening Democrats to vote for Trump could be aimed at damaging the president's reelection bid, of course, and how the intelligence community had made that determination within 24 hours (laughs) of the emails going out. And this is also huge news, but it was kind of a buried lead here. Ratcliffe also, well, he decided on his own earlier that day to hold the press conference about the spoofed emails. Um, And they were changing his Like, he was working on his remarks up until the last minute. But another area where he went off script, according to officials, he omitted any references to the Proud Boys by name during last week's briefing, even though the group was named in his prepared remarks.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, A senior intelligence official said that Ratcliffe's remarks were being edited, quote, until mere moments before he went on stage. On stage? On stage.
2: stage. It's a whole show to them. That's all this is. It's a performance, AG. It's a performance.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, you've seen him lie (laughs) during his confirmation hearing. You may have heard him perjure himself for 18 U.S. Code Section 1001. Please welcome the the one and only... (laughs) <laughs> the stage
2: it's like a it's, a it's a slide of the hand magic trick he's so good at them
0: oh good lord uh, so anyway these are a bunch of lion assholes yeah. uh, and I hope I can't wait till Ratcliffe goes down speaking of assholes
2: uh, the next thing is the White House <laughs> Speaking of assholes, speaking of speaking assholes, of assholes nice uh, the White House has claimed that they have ended COVID, so in my opinion, this is basically Donald's mission accomplished, George W. Bush moment. Mission accomplished.
0: Mission accomplished.
2: Mission accomplished. Yes. <laughs> the White House included <laughs> ending the coronavirus pandemic on a list of Trump administration's science and technology accomplishments. You heard that right. Oh. Accomplishments, despite nearly half I'm sorry. a million Americans tested positive for COVID-19 in the past week, Allison.
0: Wait, there's a list of Trump administration's science and technology accomplishment, Which, accomplishments? There's a list? Actually, I think it's just very
2: short. I think it might be just ending the COVID pandemic. Bend- <laughs> oh wait i bet it's just the one lie. Yeah, i
0: bet the um space force has got to be on there space force has to be on there space force water on the moon vaccines yeah
2: i i actually do want to check out this list now just for comedic uh, reference so a white house office in, so yeah there's a white house office of science and technology policy who knew uh they released um the acclaimed Announcing a document highlighting the administration's science and techno- technology oh. achievements over the past four years. So some of these highlights include ending COVID-19 pandemic. Made bread. Pandemic. <laughs> Made bread. <laughs> I love to see those lists, Dana. You're right. Oh, my God. Did you imagine? Uh, looked at Eclipse. Without glasses,
0: highlights include ending the covid nineteen <laughs> <laughs> highlights we in- hosted an eclipse. It was the best eclipse that oh my like the no one's ever seen, and I looked right at it. I can tell
2: you, yeah, <laughs> got rid of uh technology when we got rid of the wind. It's very expensive, it kills birds. What the fuck he cured windmill I can't cancer if there's so much being said like shit like that that we've completely glossed over the fact that the president said wind was too expensive and it kills all the birds, it
0: causes cancer that's what they did. They cured windmill cancer that's on this list. that's got to be on the list,
2: yeah. So was this a news release? This was a news release sent to reporters that read, and I quote, from the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the administration has taken decisive actions to engage scientists and health professionals in academia, industry, and the government to understand, treat, and defeat the disease. Well, this is going to come up in a little bit, which is very hard when Kushner actually said the quite opposite. Anyway, Mm -hmm. we'll get there in a second. Now, this is despite us seeing record numbers across the country and the highest average of new cases. Cases per day since the pandemic began. The US has reported a record daily average of about 73,000 new cases over the past week. This is an increase of about 40% from the average two weeks earlier and a 46% spike in hospitalizations. You know, I heard today in Utah, they might have to figure out how to ration healthcare if it keeps up in Utah and decide who gets the ventilators and who doesn't. Like, this is crazy craziness in the news. So Kushner, like I was saying a second ago, even though they're touting that they listen to the scientists and blah, 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 blah. Kushner actually boasted in April, mid April about how the president had cut out the doctors and scientists advising him on the unfolding coronavirus pandemic, comments that came as more than forty thousand Americans had already died from the virus, which was at this point ravaging New York City.
0: Feeling, feeling cute. Feel- Might cut out doctors later. IDK.
2: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, this was so. This was actually back in April, Allison. This is that taped interview with Woodward. This is part of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Kushner told. Bob Woodward, that Trump was, in a quote, getting the country back from the doctors, because you know how doctors like to hijack the country, um, getting the country back <laughs> from the doctors and what he called a negotiated settlement. What the hell does that even mean? Kushner also proclaimed that the U.S. was moving swiftly through the panic phase and pain phase of the pandemic and that the country was at the beginning of the comeback phase. This is in April... Over 180,000 more people have died since that statement. This is cr- this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I need to stop saying crazy because I know it's it's out of context and it's not really applicable. It's This is ridiculous. That does not mean, and this is a quote, that doesn't mean that there's not still a lot of pain and there won't be pain for a while, but that basically was, uh, we've now put out rules to get back to work, Kushner said. Trump's now back in charge. It's not the doctor's. Oh, that's terrifying.
3: <laughs> so humble, this was in brag, April. Right?
2: Yep. This was in April that Trump had taken the doctors, ba- uh, the country back from the doctors. The statement reflected a political strategy. Now, instead of following health experts' advice, Trump and Kushner were focused on what would help the president on Election Day. So by their calculations, Trump would be the open-up president, which just, I, it, God, the visual alone just made me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit.
0: Goatsey, right? Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is exactly what we've been saying with the whole, you know, uh, Maddo's been saying, watch what they do, not what they say. I've been saying that they've been just on the herd immunity train since the beginning, even though they've tried to keep that quiet. That's what they want. They want this virus to rip through the country so we can go really quickly through the death pain and the pain phase and the whatever, you know, to the open up phase. And then he'll be able to be elected.
2: It's like Kushner's five stages of COVID. Like, you know, there's five stages of grief. Apparently, these are the five stages of COVID. The pain phase, the open up phase, the... They've all lost their minds phase.
0: The open up president phase. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's um sad and scary and thousands, hundreds of thousands have died because of it. And and this is kind of what we knew all along. We have to absolutely vote in numbers too big to manipulate. We have to get them out of there so we can put doctors back in charge of hijacking the country.
3: Yeah, um, and
2: just a, just a side yeah. note, if for some reason you're planning on mailing in your ballot, please do not do that. If you had not mailed in your ballot, I want you to walk it down to an official ballot box or take it into the city at one of their official voting locations. Do not mail it anymore. If you're listening to this, please just walk it in and hand it to them. It may not get there in time. And the post office, uh, DeJoy, is just basically saying that nowhere in the Constitution does it say
0: that the mail needs to get there on time. So, that's what's up. Thanks, DeJoy. I can hear him now. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that you have to get the stuff there on time. Like, oh my God, shut up. Um, Next up, in the most obvious metaphor in the history of metaphors <laughs> uh, last night at trump 's Omaha rally, he left hundreds, if not thousands of of people stranded in the cold um, this I started following this story uh, last night, I guess at probably about nine. Uh, pacific time which was close to midnight uh on the east coast and mm-hmm. and uh, there was a an omaha underscore scanner account that was listening to the omaha police scanner and putting out this this update of tweets about what was going on after the rally so when the rally started there were a bunch of people waiting to get in and he did the rally and then he hopped on his plane and took off and because of all the airport road shutdowns and closures because of the president um you know thinking he's way more important than he is um in Omaha, right? Uh, basically, the buses either couldn't get back to or didn't get back to pick up all of the people who didn't get in the rally or who went to the rally and needed a ride back four miles to their car. It was right. about 28 degrees Fahrenheit when when this all started to, to go down. And people couldn't walk back. Many of these folks were in their 70s, uh, and they could not walk back from the rally to... Uh, their cars, which were parked, I guess, across and down the road up near the air, you know, closer to the airport, uh, because he shuttled them there just fine. Right. But they, they couldn't get back. And so... He, they were abandoned. They were stranded, and and most people are like, oh, oh, thoughts and prayers, but you know, the, the so a lot of these people were getting hypothermia. They were having seizures. They their mental acuity had disappeared. A lot of signs of hypothermia. I think seven ended up going to the hospital. It was very serious, and uh, you know, I kept trying to reach out to people, saying, is there anybody who can go pick these folks up? Anybody help us out? People are like, why should we help them? And I'm like, eh, you know, call it the oh, Hippocratic yeah. Oath if you want. Um, call it like when we're in combat, like on enemy soil, and we come across a wounded enemy soldier who's trying to kill us, we administer first aid, even, you know, we, we've we I've done this at the VA for years. There's a lot of like racist assholes that come in to get health care there, but we don't triage them based on their assholishness, you know, we just are they sick, we help them and then put send them on their way. But this was, uh, to me, this was just really sad because he used these people, um, he bust them in, used them as props, got money from them for, to buy swag, used them as props to cheer him on, and then just left them in the cold, literally, to freeze to death.
2: It is absolutely part and partial to this entire administration. I mean, it's a great example. It's a metaphor for this in the last four years.
0: Yeah, Definitely.
2: Uh, what's positive, positive news, though, A.G., we've got 20 former Republican U.S. attorneys who endorse Joe. Yes, 20 U.S. attorneys who were appointed and served under Republican presidents as far back as Dwight Eisenhower announced on Tuesday their endorsement of Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. They said, we firmly believe that Vice President Joe Biden is the candidate who can and will provide the leadership we need to refocus the Justice Department on the cause of impartial justice and to address the deep-seated societal issues that are roiling our country today. The former U.S. attorney said in a statement, we give him our strongest endorsement and we hereby announce that we will each be voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to serve as the next president and vice Ooh. president of the United States, which is huge. This is huge. And it's just so nice to hear people saying that we want an impartial Department of Justice again, and we don't want these to be the president's personal lawyers, which is what we've seen with Bill Barr. So the former law enforcement officials also voiced their concerns that President Donald Trump's leadership poses a threat to the rule of law. Yeah, I think we've all been saying that for about four years now but these are people obviously very directly involved in this sort of thing so they said as the chief federal law enforcement officials in our districts We were expected to work closely with state and local officials of all political affiliations to build a unified law enforcement partnership to protect and promote justice in our communities. The statement says, as we watch the turbulent events unfolding in our country today, we are concerned that the president has departed from this traditional mandate in several troubling ways. It continues to say he has politicized the Department of Justice dictated its priorities along political lines and breaking down the barrier that prior administrations had maintained between political and prosecutorial decision-making, a barrier that has been fundamental to the maintaining confidence among the American people that their Justice Department is acting as a fair and impartial arbiter of prosecutorial discretion. That was a lot in the last sentence, but I got it out. Yeah,
0: those were a lot of words right there. I
2: got it out. I got it out. Um, I haven't even started drinking today. Perhaps I need to. Yes. Fair and impartial arbiter of prosecutorial discretion. Impartial arbiter of prosecutorial discretion. That's hard to say, dude. Right, we do. We do. I mean, we do, yeah. we've got to get the Department of Justice back. And I keep reminding people that a vote for Joe and Kamala is also a vote against not just Trump, but Pompeo, DeVos, Bill Barr. They all go. They all go. It's like a it's like a five for one. Like let's get rid of them all.
0: Ratcliffe. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. And and that's super important. And I think that's why it's important. Joe brought up in the debate uh, in the town hall uh, when they were doing their you know. Head to head town halls um, when he said, you know, because I think it was Stephanopoulos who asked Joe Biden, like, hey, you know, we got all these obstruction of justice charges from the Mueller report. What are you going to do with that? He's like, I'm not going to yeah. do anything with that. That's up to the Justice Department. That's what the Justice Department does. They decide. I hire prosecutors and they determine who they're going to prosecute and not prosecute. It's not me. And that was time for the Justice Department to be the Justice Department. And, you know, not the personal lawyers for the president, just much like what we just, you know, we learned yesterday that they're not going to allow the Justice Department to represent Trump in the Eugene Carroll case, yet, which yep. p- pleases me so much. So Me
2: too. I was surprised. I'm not going to lie, but I'm very grateful.
0: Yeah. Same, same. Um, and we have some updates on yesterday's Trump tax story. That's the one about his Deutsche Bank loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, student loans don't get forgiven, but Deutsche Bank loans to Trump get forgiven. Uh, And I've gotten some more details from the experts. I'll be speaking with the author of Dark Tower, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump and an Epic Trail of Destruction. His name is David Enrich. He's on the byline for that Trump tax story in The New York Times. And we're going to talk about what he knows. And you'll hear about how Mnuchin was involved, Steve, along with uh, some gifts given to Trump from Deutsche Bank the day after he won the election. It's truly an incredible story. Stay with us.
1: After these messages will be wrapped.
0: Hey, everybody, it's A.G., and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. The pandemic didn't just test our country's economic endurance and resolve. It exposed how important it is that we keep our immune systems up and stay healthy, and that's why I recommend you take the superfood powder Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition and do it every day. While other health products boast about one vegetable, Field of Greens has 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables, plus green tea, ginger, turmeric, and beets. This powerful combination not only can support heart health, it can support a healthy immune system and, and also keeps your metabolism up and blood pressure and digestion healthy. Field of Greens is loaded with antioxidants, uh, pre and probiotics. Just one scoop in a glass of water stir up and you're done. So why settle for one vegetable when you can have the entire field of greens? Add Field of Greens to your daily routine and see why our powdered greens have earned over 2,000 five-star reviews. So go to fieldofgreens15.com and get 15% off your first order with the promo code BEANS at checkout. That's fieldofgreens15, one five available in two flavors regular and wild berry both taste great field of greens 15 and don't forget promo code beans all right everybody welcome back it's time to flip it blue I'm blue joining me today for the Flip It Blue segment is the Democratic candidate for Congress in California's 42nd District. He is running against incumbent Republican Ken Calvert, who has held the seat since 1993. Please welcome Liam O'Mara. Liam, welcome to Daily Beans. Hey, happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you because California is 42nd. It's such a a cool district. It's so unique, and there's such a great mix of of voters and constituents and families there. Uh, and I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about the characteristics of of your district. Who lives there?
1: Yeah, so it's um, Southwest Riverside County uh, in California. So it's just over the mountains from L.A. and Orange County, and historically, it's been seen more as a dumping ground for those counties we have tons of the logistics jobs, you know, transport, you know, factory the, the sorry, the, the warehousing and whatnot for things being shipped in and out. And historically the area was also quite poor. Uh it's, a lot of that still sticks around. The area um the Inland Empire as a whole, which is Riverside and San Bernardino County, less than a third of the population make a living wage. But in my district or at least in the western half of my district there's a ton of bedroom communities of people who have fled the higher house prices in LA and Orange County and settled in there, but it's never really built up much economically beyond that, which means that as they move in and these new neighborhoods get built up, the price of housing shoots up and it's a lot harder for the people who already lived out here. And the eastern half of the district is still overwhelmingly rural. It's tons like farmland and open Mm -hmm. fields.
0: Yeah. So a lot of folks get priced out. And uh, with with the wages the way that we are, and especially right now because of this huge economic downturn, uh, because of Republicans' inept handling of the coronavirus... And, you know, it's it's just gotten so much worse. And let's let's talk about COVID. And let's talk about probably one of the number one issues that I think is on the mind of a lot of voters in California. And that's health care. You know, unfortunately, we tie health care to employment a lot in this country. And when folks uh, lose their jobs, which many millions have in this pandemic, they lose their health care and then of course, we have this administration and Republicans like your opponent trying to gut and repeal the Affordable Care Act without having a plan for replacement. Can you talk to us a little bit about your plans for getting everyone uh, timely access to quality health care?
1: Yeah, I mean they they don't really have a plan to replace it because there's no desire to replace it the Republican plan is basically if you have money, you'll get decent health care. And if you don't, uh, you can die. That's fine. Mm-hmm. They don't seem ever to care about the issue. And never mind the fact that it's a lot cheaper for everyone if we cover everyone. Because when people don't have access to the insurance, they end up you know, putting off problems or they go into the emergency room and that jacks the prices up for everybody. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, For me, I'm, I'm for a single payer model. And the key issue there is just one of cost. And what people often misunderstand about this and that there's tons of like ridiculous talking points about it. Like universal healthcare is socialism. Like it's not at all. I mean, the key issue for me is it actually would create An effective thriving market in providing uh, providers because you'd be able to go anywhere. You wouldn't be stuck within a particular network. The key is the inefficient uh, insurance industry in between. There are some things that private businesses will do better and some things that governments will do better. And you need always to just pay attention to where those efficiencies best are. If we're all in the same risk pool with the same insurer, then the costs go down for everyone because someone else's pre-existing condition or this or that is not going to jack up everyone's cost the same because, again, much larger pool of people. And there's just massive efficiencies when you're not actually trying to make a profit off of insurance. The the existing Medicare system, which doesn't have that larger pool as it is, is already like 10 times as efficient just in its administration as any private health insurer is. Mm -hmm. So just using something like that to replace only the insurance model is important to me. And it's, it's also important and honestly, it's one of the pet peeves I have about the, um, the approach to this has been the use of the term Medicare because we've had the system since the 60s. It's been watered down considerably by Republicans over time. It does have co-pays. You do have to pay for prescription drugs. There's all kinds of things that are, are wrong with the current Medicare system. So when we say Medicare for all, we don't mean using that system for everyone. So if you have good insurance from your uh, from your, your place of employment. You're actually still going to get a better policy because this is going to cover dental, vision, mental health, and literally everything without the same kind of desire to uh, to deny coverage, which is so common in private insurance because they have to make money. They're going to say, well, you know, that test is very expensive. We're not going to run it. Sorry.
0: Or we're going to run a bunch of unnecessary tests as private doctors so we can get paid for those. And cost everyone else a bunch of money uh, by, and that'll jack up premiums. Yeah, and and I think people staying on healthcare here and moving to something else that's on your platform, but has to do with this, is that we have one of the best global single payer healthcare systems in the world, right here in the United States, and it's called the Department of Veterans Affairs, and and a lot of people just kind of miss that whole, you know, uh, we we have uh, an incredible health system now. The Republicans like. Our our healthcare for civilians are trying to privatize this, trying to make it for profit, so that private doctors and private industry and healthcare insurance insurers and third party administrators can pocket a bunch of money at our expense that doesn't have anything to do with healthcare. And I know that you really are a huge proponent of expanding and funding the VA and not privatizing it and, and getting the, the benefits to the veterans that they deserve. Can you talk about how you differ from your opponent on on caring for your veterans that are in? And I know you've got a lot
1: in your district. Yeah. The, the thing that bugs me the most about, I mean, what we let Republicans get away with on veteran stuff. I mean, my incumbent there. Takes vast amounts of money from the defense contractors and is voted for every use of force. So he's perfectly happy to throw people into harm's way, but then he'll vote against properly funding care for people. So hey, we have a lot of homeless veterans. You want to do something about that? No. Mm-hmm. Hey, how about some good health care for our veterans? To take care of you know PTSD or how about you know help people reintegrate better into the, you know civilian life? Nah, not interested. I mean, and that just drives me nuts.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: uh, and w- the sad thing about The Republican strategy of regulatory capture that they've been doing heavily since the 80s and started pioneering a little earlier than that, you know, just basically putting people in charge of departments that want to destroy them (laughs) and deliberately underfunding government services so that they start to fall apart so you can then say, look, 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 government is the problem. Uh, We should abolish it and privatize it. They've deliberately underfunded the VA. They have forced it to perform with less resources than comparable private hospitals do. And yet it still does fairly well. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing about this is that, you know, the, the care used to be, you know, world-class and, and still can be in a lot of VA hospitals, but they intentionally harm the system as a way to try and justify shutting it down, which is only going to harm veterans. I mean, I, I just know uh, from, uh, my own experiences here in in my family and whatnot especially my uh my grandfather um was was badly uh injured and because he had insurance through the va because he, he was a marine in the korean war um he actually was able to get care that you know was uh, <laughs> you know that you could actually afford i mean the number of surgeries that he had to have on his back would have bankrupted the entire family yeah And because he had care through the va it didn't you know, he was able to 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 keep doing it so you know, I want to I want to fix that system. Yeah. I want to stop pulling the money out of the system, because if you're going to ask people to put themselves in harm's way for the country, you have an obligation to care for them when they come back.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And that is the mission of the VA. And they are pulling out the money and putting it into private, sending uh, veterans to private health insurance uh uh, private doctors, which costs the taxpayers more money and is sub-quality care and takes longer. The wait times are longer. It's it's totally unbelievable. And folks like your opponent are also trying to take $2.2 billion out of TRICARE to privatize that as well, to put take all the families off of who are normally able to get care at military treatment facilities at no cost. Now would have to go to private doctors. There would be a third-party administrator and the costs would shoot right through the roof again to the taxpayers. So it's not a good system.
1: No, and it's all- always the scam with with regulatory capture. The private provision is not actually cheaper. It's not a better deal for taxpayers. What they have to do is they have to undermine the departments so much and then hit you with a propaganda war to say government is the problem in order to justify shifting it. But the whole point is to enrich donors. That's literally all they care about. It's about shifting taxpayer money to the already rich. It's basically Mm. just hoovering money out of our wallets and throwing it to their donors. It has nothing to do with quality of services. A a wide range of areas. It's true even for for charter schools. Mm. I mean, charter schools are essentially a scam just in terms of what they they say that they're good for because they don't actually get better results Mm -hmm. than the public schools. And in many cases, they get worse results than well-funded public schools.
0: Yeah. And they do it with prisons. They do it with everything and, and drug companies.
1: <laughs> all just a matter of making money for donors. It's nothing to do with the actual services.
0: Yeah, 100 uh, percent. Now, you've got you said you've got some rural areas. And let's talk about uh, the environment, the impact of climate change, uh, which I mean, first of all, you believe that it exists, uh, which puts you already, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of your opponent. Uh, but this is not only is the climate, you know, we, we I mean, obviously, for r- reasons, we need to get on that and we need to get on it fast. But that also impacts the economy and infrastructure. So can you tie those two things together for me in your platform?
1: Well, sure. I, and it, it is definitely having an impact. If you go back um, 20 and 30 years and look at average temperatures in our area, they were about 20 degrees cooler in the summers than they are now. We used to have summers in the 80s and now it's always in triple digits and and it's like uh, clearly this is a problem and it is going to affect a whole bunch of things including the agriculture in the area the thing that bugs me about uh, complaints about this the, the the spending that would be necessary and anything about this i mean for one, one thing let's start with the whole wasted argument about denial right somebody can argue sure maybe this is happening but it's not man-made it's just natural even if you believe that, and the evidence is solidly against that, even if you believe that, you should still want to do something about that rather than just saying like, hey, I don't know, why don't we all just die? Because that's mm-hmm. basically the Republican platform. Why don't we just die? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, and we could still do something about this. And that really gets into the economics of it. Things like a Green New Deal would not cost us money. They would literally make us money. Yeah, People forget that we went to the freaking moon without raising taxes and it created the computer revolution and put all these phones in everyone's pockets you know we now have like effectively a supercomputer in our pocket because of the uh, the microprocessor revolution that all of that government spending put in motion mm-hmm. it was a massive stimulus to large uh, tech sectors of our economy and it put the united states on top in a lot of industries for a long time we stopped that r d we've been pulling money out from both the public and private sectors and overall spending and r d has been plummeting in the u.s uh relative to a lot of other developed countries which means we're losing our edges mm-hmm. it bugs me that you can have people like trump um you know trying to shift blame for a lot of things over to the you know, you know, china this and like you know talking about ah oh, the chinese are ah, cheating or whatever no they're they're investing Um, And China now leads the world in solar cell and battery technology. That was, those were both ours. Mm -hmm. We had solar cells in 1970. Jimmy Carter put some some solar panels on the roof of the freaking White House. Mm -hmm. Reagan took them back off. We were investing in these things before. And we gave up our lead in so many of these different areas to other countries. And then we blame them when large parts of our own industrial base starts to deteriorate. And just, I mean, infrastructure too is a a key one. I mean, U.S. infrastructure is rated a D. And it's declining in in a, a wide range of areas. Internet access throughout my district is honestly terrible. We have subpar water quality. We have terrible air quality, worst air quality in the state. But, you know, the water quality is fairly low. Roads are deteriorating. And we're not investing in any of the solutions of the future either. Again, with what, with what a Green New Deal does is it says, let's invest in Americans, in American jobs, in American businesses and American workers. Let's put this country back to work by building the things that we need. You're gonna to produce tons of great jobs in the process and it's gonna have a massive ripple effect and push up our overall growth rates. Mm-hmm. I mean, Our area, for one thing, we still have a lot of cheap land in the district. You know, there's still a lot of like open areas there. And we have a lot of sunshine, right? Solar power is now the cheapest form of power generation. It has finally passed natural gas. It is now cheaper to build a solar plant and cheaper to run a solar plant. So you know, per gigawatt of electricity or whatever, you're, you're going to like save a ton of money with solar. So why not build a bunch of solar plants out here? Mm-hmm. We could clearly do it. You'd put tons of people to work. We'd make tons of money in the process. But no, no, we shouldn't do that.
0: Mm. Well, yeah,
1: special interest money.
0: Yeah, special interest money, lobbyist money prevents people like the incumbent.
1: Free money, Mm yeah. I mean, the lobbyists are going to dump their cash in there. And it bugs me that you you let the same people who are refusing the investment in these areas claim the high ground in terms of national defense. The Pentagon has for many years said that global warming is the greatest national security threat the United States faces. Mm -hmm. And yet we're doing nothing about it. You're basically letting them sell out the country and still claim to be patriots. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, the Pentagon is they're moving bases. They're starting to do stuff. I mean, they've been doing it, addressing it for a long time. They know. Yeah. Congress does not. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, well, they know, but their money speaks louder to them. Yeah. uh, before I let you go, I want to touch really quickly. I've got about another minute or two on um, a couple of really important things that deal with corruption, because your opponent voted against a bill to regulate foreign involvement in elections. Uh, We we know that the dynastic corruption that happens within the Republican Party, we've talked a little bit about it already with his special interest money and lobbying groups. But let's talk about just a minute about criminal justice and campaign finance. Those are the two last things I want to touch on. I've got about a minute left.
1: Oh, wow. that's fast. (laughs) (laughs) Ninety eight percent of Ken's money comes from corporations and, and the wealthy. I mean, that's that's all he cares about. And his voting record shows that that's all he cares about. And it's given him a, a horrifying voting record in terms of our basic interests. But the money talks, and it does make it harder to get any, you know, to, to push back against these things. And it does affect criminal justice as well, a, a significant issue that he's running on because of the amount of money you can make um, mm-hmm. on the, the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. It's a massive cash cow for people. So I mean, the fact that the U.S. has one quarter of the entire planet's prison population is a scam. Mm -hmm. If we want this to be a free country, we need to start talking about how to fix that stuff. And money is at the root of it.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And then, of course, um, uh, if you make it to Congress, which I'm definitely going to work hard to make sure that you do, uh, we need to take a look at the bill, H.R. 1, that's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk now for (laughs) a couple of years. And, you know, we have to. Uh, You know, all the stuff in it about voting rights, ending uh, cash. But you want to end cash bail, abolish three strikes, criminal justice reform and and also equal rights. And I think that it's really important that we talk about that. Expanding the Violence Against women's Act and pass the Savannah Act. Can you and and then of course Native empowerment. Can you talk about that for a minute? Because I think it's very important.
1: Uh, about which? <laughs> like,
0: I know, I know. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there's just so much in HR one. You know that that, and then additionally, there's so much in
1: um. There is equal rights right that we need to do in terms of criminal justice. Anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do want to reform the sentencing laws. I I actually want to. I mean can uh, run, run an attack ad against me talking about how Liam wants to legalize drugs. I'm like, yeah duh. I mean because legalizing drugs would actually solve let us solve the problem. Right now we complain about the cartels and the violence and whatnot in Mexico and whatnot and it's all because of the prohibition. and because of that we can't actually treat people. It's a, It's a medical problem. Yep. Instead, we throw tons of people in jail, which makes tons of money for everybody and all the there's money corrupt money flowing into different judges or whatever because of the stiff sentencing. And that makes tons of money for people. I want not only to make it a medical issue and not a criminal issue, I want to release the people currently in prison. For nonviolent drug offenses here. So we can start to make the whole thing a bit less profitable. Maybe less money can flow into our corrupt politics because of that. And we can actually get, you know, uh, know, real justice for Americans.
0: And it's a voting rights issue, too. They would rather uh, have these folks not vote. And I I can't imagine why. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I mean, the, the whole idea. Okay. you can make an argument that someone in jail shouldn't vote, although I'm, I'm with Bernie on that one. I don't, I don't think it should affect your civil rights at all. Same. But once you're out, period, that's it. You're still a citizen. You get to vote. And to say that someone who had a felony at 21 can't vote at 65 is just insane to me.
0: Yeah. yeah, or even at 22. You're right. It's absolutely nuts. Um, And I'm, I'm it seems like uh, we're in agreement on all of these things. And, and I know uh, most of the listeners are, too. So can you tell uh, listeners where they can contribute, uh, either monetarily or by text bank or phone bank, or if they want to see the rest of your platform, which is really incredible, by the way, let everybody know where they can do that, would you?
1: Yeah, the easiest thing to do is go to liamomara.org, so L-I-A-M-O-M-A-R-A dot O-R-G, and right at the very top of it, there are the volunteer and donate links, um, and you can just check off the kinds of things you might want to do, and you can pitch in from there. And I just want to push back against the sort of like learned helplessness we often have on the left. It does not matter how much you have to contribute, you can still do it. A $5 a month recurring donation is extremely important. If you get a few thousand people to throw in just $5 a month, the price of a Starbucks coffee, you can win almost any house race in this entire country. We mm-hmm. can compete with the, the billionaires, but we have to step up a little bit.
0: Thank you so much for talking with me today. A Democratic candidate for U.S. Congress, California's 42nd district, Liam O'Mara. Thank you so much. Hello, listeners. It's AG for The Daily Beans. We have a different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which is a podcast you should be listening to. And I know every day somebody tells you you have to listen to this podcast and you nod and go, yep, sure. And then you put it on your list and never listen to it. But don't let that happen here because Jordan's show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Each episode is a conversation with a different fascinating guest. And when I say there's something for everyone here, I really mean that. In just uh, like, first of all, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator in one of these episodes from the FBI, who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which sounds useful and disturbing, but it's amazing. Another episode tells a story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in in a jungle and and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. Uh, I recommend our listeners check out Jordan's conversations with Oliver Stone about writing, directing and surviving the movie game and episode 381 with comedian Neil Brennan, who is, is a friend of mine. I've done shows with Neil. And then that's called Comedy's Triple Threat. Jordan's always focused on pulling useful, practical insights out of his brilliant guests. And we're not talking about pop psych or wishy-washy self-help stuff. These episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom that you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life right away. If that's not worth checking out, I am not sure what is. But we really enjoy the show, and we think you will too, so search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, am N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today is the author of Dark Tower, Deutsche Bank Donald Trump and an Epic Trail of Destruction. He uh, just worked on a, a piece for The New York Times in the ongoing series about Trump's taxes. Please welcome David Enrich. David, how are you? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm really good uh, today. Thank you for joining me because this is a... Up uh, when you say epic trail of distraction, you aren't kidding. Um, today's story <laughs> is pretty epic, and I, I want to start uh, by talking about. Um, obviously, I think the crux of this story here is that Donald Trump had a bunch of of heavy duty loans forgiven, and if we could start first with some of the private hedge fund firms. Uh, that kind of, as you say, threw their arms up and just sort of forgave this debt.
3: Yeah. And there's just a starting point. And my personal bias has always been to focus on Deutsche Bank. And one of the things I learned in reporting and writing the story is that in, you know, Deutsche Bank is endlessly fascinating, of course, but it's been a mistake by me and others, I think, to not focus more on what happened with these big hedge funds and private equity firms. So uh, the Trump Tower Chicago saga um, involves a big loan from Deutsche Bank and a slightly smaller, but still very big, loan for 130 million dollars from a consortium of private equity and firms and hedge funds, inclu- led by Fortress, which is a big New York company, um, but also involving Cerberus, um, which is a huge private equity firm, and uh, at what at the time was a small, kind of unheard of startup hedge fund called Dune Capital. And it, <laughs> that um, sounds familiar to me. <laughs> right. And to anyone who's been following the Trump years closely, Dune Capital, is you know, we all know what that is. It's the hedge fund that was co-founded in 2005 by Steven Mnuchin, uh, who is now obviously the Trump's treasury secretary. And it, um, so and a bunch of hedge hedge fund firms and private equity firms made this $130 million million loan in 2005, in 2008, Trump defaults on that loan, as well as a bigger one uh, from Deutsche Bank. And the lenders under the loan agreements, which I've looked at, had the right to seize the collateral, which in this case was the skyscraper that by the time of the default was mostly built in downtown Chicago. It's a huge building, 92 stories and millions of square feet, and uh, it is a nice building. And uh, but instead of actually playing hardball with Trump and Trump started this process by preemptively suing both Deutsche Bank and this Fortress group and uh, and his Trump's tactics worked and Fortress and its partners were basically scared about the prospect of getting in a huge protracted legal brawl with Donald Trump because of his reputation for being someone who is just willing to drag things out in court for many, many years on end. And his kind of, you know, I might get in trouble for using this word, but basically his shameless tactics and spreading misinformation, including in the legal system. And it just wasn't something that they had much appetite for. So instead of trying to fight this out in court and get, or seize the building or at least get most of what they were owed, They settled for $48 million, which is obviously only a small fraction of the $130 million they had lent, but it's an even smaller fraction when you consider that with accrued interest and fees that were attached to this loan that Trump was supposed to pay, it was going to be closer to $320 million that Trump was on the hook for on this one loan. And so they settled for $48 million of that, which left... Again, my math, I'm trying to do math in my head, which is never a good idea, but it, it was a break for Trump of about $270 million, which you know, to anyone, including billionaires, uh, is a tremendous amount of money that was gifted to Trump because a bunch of hedge funds and private equity firms who are investing money for pension funds and things like that, by the way, just didn't have the stomach for a fight.
0: Now, when you get a loan forgiven like that, isn't that supposed to be taxed as income?
3: It's supposed to be reported as taxable income. And, you know, for normal human beings and normal businesses, we pay taxes on our taxable income. I mean, I certainly do. And I imagine you do. And most, you know, most normal businesses do. And I think many big corporations find very creative ways using offshore entities and just very sophisticated strategies to manipulate the tax system to either you know to basically minimize their tax liability or avoid it altogether. And that's the game Trump played. And he there's not a any evidence that we've seen that he did anything illegal here. But as with everything with Trump and his finances, he played a very aggressive game where he was able to spread out this reportable income from the canceled debt over a period of many years and was able to kind of parcel it out in a way that in every given year that he was going to be on the hook for some of the taxes on this, those that the income was subsumed by losses, often losses that were just only on paper, like accounting losses essentially, that either minimized or completely negated his tax bill. So he, the bottom line is he avoided paying taxes on almost all of this income, Mm. which is extraordinary.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it helps when you've got businesses that eat up <laughs> your uh, you know, your taxable income in losses going forward, like his golf courses, et cetera, and casinos, the stuff that uh, he fails at, which just ends up happening to work to his advantage.
3: Well, it's a combination just to, I mean, maybe you don't want to go down this path, but it's a combination of his business. He He has not been a good businessman with the exception of the apprentice, which was him play, you know, playing this role that wasn't actually real of a real estate developer. And but I mean it's partly that he is not a very good businessman and his businesses have been losing tons of money, but it's also partly because he, like others, is very adept at exploiting the intricacies of the tax code to their advantage. And, I mean Trump has bragged about this in the past. He's bragged about it on the 2016 campaign trail, how good he was at it, and vowed that he would use his skills at avoiding taxes to reform the tax code to make it fairer for normal people which you know it's just gotten worse and so it's i don't want to you shouldn't make it sound like it's just like the he wasn't paying taxes because he was losing money he wasn't paying taxes in part because he was losing money but also in part because he was playing this very aggressive game to wipe out his taxes
0: oh yeah a hundred yeah a hundred percent um and I believe, did, did you say, I think his reason for suing to uh, have these loans forgiven was uh, th- it was during a financial crisis, right?
3: That's right. And he accused Deutsche Bank. So Fortress and those guys lent $130 million. Deutsche Bank lent $640 million. And, it, uh, and so when it came, came time to pay the loan back in November of uh, 2008, there's about $330 million outstanding on the loan at that time. And Trump just decided not to pay. And he had been, and and he went on the offensive. He filed a lawsuit against Deutsche Bank and others, accusing Deutsche Bank of helping cause the financial crisis. And the most, again, I used the word shameless earlier, and this really is shameless, accusing Deutsche Bank of engaging in predatory lending practices against him, Donald Trump. And it, which uh, all... And I hate to take Deutsche Bank's side, but all they were doing was trying to collect on a loan under the terms of the contract. And that's, you know, there are many unreasonable things Deutsche Bank has done and continues to do. That is not one of them.
0: Didn't he say it was an act of God or, or, or that, the financial well, he claimed cri-
3: that the financial crisis was an act of God? And there's a wonderful story around that as well, and that there his lawyers were looking for an escape hatch in this loan contract in the days before the loan was due. And one of them heard Alan Greenspan, the former Fed chairman, who was like on TV or the radio or something, and described the financial crisis as a credit tsunami. And the lawyers looked at each other and said, what's a tsunami? It's a natural disaster. It's an act of God. And so if the financial crisis is a tsunami, which is an act of God, Maybe we can take advantage of a, the provision that didn't basically all big contracts that says in an event of an act of God, it's called a force majeure, uh, you have the right in this case to have more time to pay back your loan. The problem with this argument, and I can't believe we're rehashing this 12 years <laughs> after the fact, but the problem with this argument is that Trump and his other people in this company have been publicly boasting at the very moment they were making this argument in court, they're publicly boasting that they had, you know, billions of dollars at their disposal, ready to spend at a moment's notice. So the notion that tr- Trump was kind of caught between this lie that he was either he was lying about his finan- his financial position, or he was lying about the financial crisis being that devastating to him. So pick your poison.
0: <laughs> yeah, and now, of course, we also know from uh, from talking to you before that a lot of these Deutsche Bank loans were paid by Deutsche Bank.
3: Yeah, which is a complete head-scratcher, obviously. And one of the things that I learned in the reporting for this, and it was was kind of an embarrassing moment for me because I have obviously spent years obsessing over Deutsche Bank and Donald Trump, but I actually went through all of the loan documents that are available in Cook County, Illinois, which is where this uh, skyscraper is, and I found this whole other set of loan documents that, that made it, clear that Trump had actually borrowed even more from Deutsche Bank than what was previously known. And um, basically what happened is that Deutsche Bank and Trump were locked in litigation for a year or so. And at the end of that period, they reached a settlement over this uh, Chicago loan that basically gave Trump another couple of years to repay what he still owed. And at at the end of that period, Trump still owed the bank about $100 million that he just had not repaid. And so he went to a different, that the loan originally had come from the investment banking side of Deutsche Bank, and which was now completely done doing business with them given the way he had treated them. Um, But Trump, through an introduction by Jared Kushner, went to a different part of Deutsche Bank, the private wealth management division, which agreed to lend him exactly $99 million to repay the ninety-nine million dollars that he owed the this different division of Deutsche Bank. And and again, this is just goes to show how four years into the Trump administration there's still a lot of mystery around his finances. The public understanding of that situation had been up until today. That what Trump had borrowed was forty five million, and in fact, there's another fifty four million dollar loan that I just discovered in these Cook County documents, and you know that's that's a big difference. Fifty four million dollars <laughs> is a lot of money, and mm. uh, and so that's just been kind of sloshing around. And Trump to this day has not paid back what he still owes Deutsche Bank on the Chicago loan. So there's still forty five million dollars outstanding, and which comes due. In you know what could if Trump gets reelected it'll be right in the middle of his second term in office.
0: Now that um, other division was that the Rosemary Vrayblick division. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, got it. Uh, our listeners, the listeners will will remember that. Now, now uh, uh, after all that, in I think in 2014 there was another 24 million dollar loan.
3: Yeah, it, uh, and that's on top of all this. So, and again, that had not been previously reported on or publicly known about, at least as far as I was concerned. And yeah, so in 2014, Trump went back to Deutsche Bank and said, and this is at the same time he's borrowing from them for the Doral Golf Resort in Florida, the old post office building in Washington. So he's at this point run up $330 million in debt. From the bank, just in in that in the, the preceding couple of years, and he goes to Deutsche Bank and says, "Look, I'd like to take out another twenty four million dollars on the Chicago project." They say yes, and it, what happens next remains a little bit confusing to me, to be honest. What all I could can see in, through public documents is that the so as part of that twenty four million dollar loan, Deutsche Bank took as collateral units in the Chicago building. And so normally when a loan is repaid, the collateral gets released. And sometimes there are delays, but generally it happens around the same time that the loan is repaid, the collateral gets released. In this case, the collateral was released on this loan on November 9th, 2016, which, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure most listeners will remember, was the day after Trump was elected president. and you know, it's, uh, I don't know what to make of that. Like, first of all, it's possible it's a coincidence. It is. Uh, but it's also mm. possible it's not a coincidence. And mm. it, the scenario in which it would not be a coincidence is that Deutsche Bank, at from the moment Trump won the election, kind of swung into action to try and distance itself from Trump and from anything even tangentially related to Trump. I and mean, it... You know, it uh, its executives considered releasing Trump from some of his personal guarantees on loans. They dumped or sold a big loan that they had to this big state-owned Russian bank at the time, and they even told their employees not to even utter the word Trump in any external public communication. So the bank at this point was <laughs> scrambling to distance itself from Trump, and it's possible that 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 this was part of it, and it, but again to emphasize i just don't know and the answers i've been getting f- through my reporting uh are frankly not satisfying
0: i'm sure you'll let us know when they are um and i, I it's also of note i think that a lot of the this the, this you know major initial deutsche bank loan for the chicago tower Uh, Wasn't, uh, I think, uh, if I am remembering correctly, that Justin Kennedy, the son of Justice Kennedy, had something to do with the remittance of those
3: loans? Yeah, he was, Justin Kennedy was at Deutsche Bank for about 10 years, from 1998 through, so I guess 11 years, through 2009. And he, for most of that time, was, I think all of that time, actually, was working in the commercial real estate division of the investment bank. And he was from around 2000 through 2008 or nine was the point person on the Trump relationship or one. I shouldn't say that. He was one of the point people on the Trump relationship. And he had a strong personal relationship with Trump and some of his kids. And on the Chicago Project, Kennedy was one of the leading advocates for it. I mean, he spent a bunch of time with Trump and Ivanka talking about this, and he he was really one of the kind of cheerleaders for it, I think, internally. And, you know, obviously this did not go well for Deutsche Bank, and very soon after this went kind of belly up and the two sides started suing each other, Kennedy decided that at that point it was time for him to leave the bank and so he resigned and started up working in his kind of own real estate business where he maintained very close ties to the Trump family and so one way to look at this in hindsight i'm not sure kennedy would agree with this and this might not be fair but one way to look at this is that Tr- kennedy's allegiance in a lot of ways was more to the trump family than it was to the bank and he the and, you know, I'm saying that out loud and that maybe that's not fair. I don't know. There's uh, now,
0: there's some other things I could say out loud about the Supreme Court. But
3: uh, there are many things we all could say about <laughs> the Supreme Court, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we do not have the evidence on that yet. Just a, a series of really, really interesting coincidences. Yep. Um, and I mean, I, if I remember correctly, I think the FBI raided the tax office or the alderman office in Chicago, where his building is. And I, I know that there was something that was happening with that, but I think it might've been connected to something else. I, I can't remember.
3: Yeah. I think that's, and there've been obviously a bunch of raids on Deutsche Bank that, you know, we don't really know exactly what those are about, but I don't have any reason I think it's Trump related. And as far as I know, I mean, there've been lots of disputes in Chicago over what taxes, Trump owes there and even over just whether or not to put his name on the building. I think, you know, the people were not, Chicagoans were not very happy with the huge letters that were slapped up on the side of the building in 2014. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of any law enforcement activity or investigations involving Trump and that project, aside from the fact that right now the New York attorney general has been investigating whether Trump paid and reported the taxes appropriately when the, his debts were forgiven uh, surrounding these initial loans.
0: Because mm-hmm, that would be a New York tax issue.
3: Yeah, well, it could be a federal tax issue. It could be a New York. And the Trump organization is obviously based in New York. Yep. And uh, so that would give the New York attorney general jurisdiction over it.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I, I can't think of the friendliness of the U.S. attorney in Chicago off the top of my head. But I also don't know if, if uh, the state attorney general or, or state attorney general or district attorney in Chicago is doing anything. I haven't heard anything on that either. Um, one last question before I let you go. I have to ask, How many? do you know how many more New York Times Trump tax stories are coming out in the series?
3: I don't. Um, I don't is the bottom line because we
0: were speculating you know my my uh, co-host and i dana goldberg we're comedians and you know when we set up a co- comedy set we start with a strong opener and we've got a hell of a closer at the end of our set and we were wondering if there was uh if they were saving the i best is probably not the right word but the biggest for last if there's more coming out before the election i'm just I was just wondering how like what's going on behind the scenes like how they're thinking about release cuz i know there's a whole series of these stories i
3: think you might be like giving us a little too much credit honestly like there's or not even credit but like you're i think you might be overthinking the sophistication of our planning like there's certainly <laughs> the priority was and remains to get as much information out as possible. And I think the Times tried very hard and succeeded at getting a huge amount of information out into the public domain before most people had voted. And uh, it's certainly like in a situation like this, where there's an election looming, and uh, especially with people voting early and things like that, we certainly and, and the Times' goal is obviously to have people as informed as possible, uh, you know, ahead of a, a major decision they're going to make. And I don't think we like it, it's possible there are big stories to come in the week or week or whatever before the election, but and we certainly would not be deliberately holding things back at this stage. Uh, No,
0: I think this is mostly about this, the just the immensity (laughs) of the immense nature of this story couldn't have been put out all at once. There's just no way. So much of it would have gone under the radar and a lot of it would have been missed. Um, A lot of people talk about the, uh, you know, the old October story that uh, Mary Trump supplied the documents for is 14,000 words or something, just such a huge story. And, and uh, you know, so I, I, totally understand the need to put this out in a in a in a series rather than all at once
3: yeah well i can tell you that there and look my role in this is confined for the most part to this chicago story that just ran uh so i don't want to speculate on what is still to come what i i, I can attest to is the fact that there is still an enormous amount of reporting being done on many different aspects of trump's finances including but definitely not limited to his taxes
0: awesome all right well thank you so much uh everybody you need to get the book dark tower uh thanks so much uh, david enrich i appreciate you speaking with me today
3: it's my pleasure talk to you soon
0: Hey, everybody. It's AG. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation because let's be honest, most are pretty gross. and They don't fill you up and they are empty calories and they don't satisfy your cravings. But this helping of daily beans is brought is brought to you by Monk Pack. They have cracked the code when it comes to making snacks that taste amazing, but have close to no sugar. (laughs) Monk Pack keto nut and seed bars contain less than one gram of sugar. Uh, only two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. And they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle and the perfect snack for anyone who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. I've been trying to eat better, but I get tripped up on snacking. I love snacks, so it's really bad for me. And But since I've been having the Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars, it's really helped. They have a perfect balance of sweet and salty, and they have that crunch that you need sometimes uh, And they, because you know, it's made of whole nuts and seeds. But they still manage to be soft and chewy, and they come in delicious flavors like pecan almond, sea salt, dark chocolate, and peanut butter, dark chocolate. My favorite right now is the sea salt, dark chocolate. It's so delicious. Um, You can't go wrong. They're packed with protein. They're filling. They're satisfying. They're perfect for a quick snack. You can take them on the go with you on a bike ride or a walk. And in addition to being keto friendly, they're gluten free, plant based and non GMO. And they have no soy, trans fats, sugar, alcohols or artificial colors. So you can enjoy them while you're working out or running errands, like I said. So try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code DailyBeans at checkout. To get started, just go to MonkPack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, then enter code DailyBeans at checkout and save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack. Good for you. Good food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right. Welcome back. Time for the good news.
2: Well we'll blow all
3: good news it's
0: on the way. Ah, oh, the good news it's here finally.
2: I know. I know we kicked it off at the top of the show and now we get to end it. We're like sandwiching this episode with good news.
0: Mm, yeah, it's kinda like our compliment sandwich, right? It is. I appreciate it is. That. It's
2: good news at the beginning, a little bit of Michigas in the middle, and then <laughs> we've got the good news again. A
0: little at the end. bit of Michigan. That's what the show should be called.
2: A little bit of Michigas. A little bit of Michigan. I might actually have to start, I mean, rename my podcast A Little Bit of Michigan.
0: It's it's really good uh you, you know i think oh, that uh funny. i think you should do it i would oh, listen to goodness. that um why don't you why don't you kick us off we've got some news from this, i think this is a correction from melissa
2: all right i'm gonna kick it off but i'm gonna sing the first verse i mean the first line says you're simply the best you're better dun, than dun, all the dun, rest all, the all right rest. so this is from Melissa. Yeah. No pronouns. You're simply the best, better than all the rest. There's a quick correction on the oft-repeated idea of statehood for Puerto Rico. It's not a blue territory at all. Interesting. It's roundly assumed that statehood for Puerto Rico will automatically lead to votes for Democrats by any history of PR would include how both Republicans and Democrats have failed to follow through on helping Puerto Rico at multiple points in the island's history. This assumption also ignores the many conservatives remaining on the island who have fiscal power. I was th- I was thinking about this, yep. Um, on Puerto Rico and statehood, since we understand the idea is that statehood would mean Puerto Rico gets representation in US government but ignores the fact that Puerto Rico is currently a colony. A referendum is held on statehood regularly and the people of Puerto Rico have never overwhelmingly voted for statehood. You can view the data online for each vote and also how the question is changed to manipulate one response or another depending on who benefits, Republican or Democrat. This is something that many Puerto Ricans on the island and the mainland are tired of hearing, and I hope that this correction can spark someone's interest in researching Puerto Rico's demographics for themselves. I love this incredibly intelligent community that appreciates being informed as well as being right. Thank you for everything, and we'll meet again on the other side of November 3rd. Uh, That's all for me. Thank you especially for listening, reading. It's because I feel like you actually listen and learn from your community that I wrote in in the first place. You really are the coolest beans to have ever been.
0: Awesome, thank you, Alyssa. I'm definitely going to start looking into that. I'm going to see if I can get anybody um, to talk to me about it. And because it, you know, this is this has been something that has been brought up with court expansion, expanding the the SCOTUS, expanding the federal bench, and then of course, uh, granting statehood to DC, which we know would definitely uh, be Democratic. But then, yeah, everyone assumes Puerto Rico. Ah, wow, we get two more Democrats. Two more Democrats. Uh, that is something that, um, I definitely will look into and, um, I kind of have just been sort of going along with what everybody else says on that, which is generally not like me, but it just seems so, like you said, well, or like, that's just sort of roundly assumed, like you said. And so I think I was just sort of going along on that train. So that's really, really interesting. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I'll definitely do some research on that because it could become a reality and that needs to start being looked at. So thank you very much. Uh, Next up from Laura, pronouns she and her. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge uh, the Ugamba people as the traditional custodians of the land from which I write to you and pay respect to their elders, past and present and emerging. Oh, nice. I live in Queensland, Australia. And my good news is that this weekend we have an election for our own state level and of our own state level. And I'm excited to exercise my right to vote to reelect a strong ass female leader. Anastasia Palazecook, pronounced Palache. Okay. Totally off base there. Palaszczuk.
2: That was awesome though <laughs> that there was a correction right after you were like Palaszczuk.
0: <laughs> Palaszczuk, Nope. Palache. Nope. Yep. That that is the premiere. Um, she's the premier there. She has been a force during the pandemic, making big calls and being strong for our state. And as a result, we in QLD currently only have five active cases. She's That's an amazing awesome. land mermaid. Amazing land mermaid. And I couldn't support her more if her name was Biden. I want to be a land mermaid. Is there a. No. Are there lessons? Does Palaszczuk give lessons for land mermaidedness? Uh, blind as it may be, I am a hopeful gal. And after taking the win here, I'm looking forward to watching the strength of the Biden Harris ticket win big, then take control of the country, you and your uh and your response to the virus. Uh, but yeah, the doctors are going to take back control, right? Uh, the people will come together to look for, uh, look after each other, and look after themselves. Your pod serves as my morning ritual: coffee, knowledge, and laughs. I can't thank you enough for your shine for shining your light. Your friends across the Pacific believe in and support you. Silly big love for myself and the pod dog Darcy.
2: Look at Darcy! I don't know how this picture was taken, but they're both adorable. Darcy and Laura are both adorable. Look how cute that is! There seems to be some sort of like a winter wonderland i mean obviously a backdrop maybe a backdrop either way this is a really beautiful picture
0: it's very very cool you, you everyone you'll see it in the newsletter this week when we put it out there laura thank you very very much and that was a beautiful introduction and thank you for telling me how to pronounce your premier's name and uh i lo- i love this so thank you for writing in
2: yes next up we have some someone anonymous uh however pronouns are hey you that fella I like this person already. Hey, everybody! It's been six months since my last confession. I reach. (laughs) I like when they start like this. It's so (laughs) father son. Holy shit! Okay, it's been six months since my (laughs) since my last confession. I reached out to behind the beans Facebook group during the past few months as I lost my job twice. With two separate companies this year. My goodness, my wife also lost her job. This is extra tough on us because we moved halfway around the world in 2019 and our support network is back in New Zealand. We've also been dealing with online harassment and death threats from a a disgruntled store owner for leaving a two-star review online. I may regale you all of the story another time for the police have dealt with the situation. In the meantime, I'd like to thank Rory for good advice. Well, the good news is that last week I took on a new role with a really good small company. I've decided that a low stress environment with a good employer is more beneficial to me than trying to play career catch up in a big corporate companies. As I retrained in this career around my 40th year, and I'm still learning the finer aspects of my role. My wife has taken a substitute teaching for now. This does put her at risk as the schools in this country are remaining open despite the rest of the country being a strict lockdown. So please send her good vibes as she looks after herself so thank you everyone for your support and thank you ag dg amy mandy jordan no pod pets as i've attached a photo of my wife with a friend of ours bonus points if you can recognize her that would be the prime minister of new zealand and i
0: knew that before i saw the caption because she's a badass she is such a badass um absolutely love 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 her and uh, she just won re-election didn't she In a landslide, I think. By a massive number. A landslide. A landslide. Landslide. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Next up from Adrienne from Phoenix. Pronouns she and her. Oh, that's my mom's name. My confession is a weird kink I have. This is not my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it may be the music, the voice, the accent, and the substance, but Michael Cohen's podcast makes me want to play with a toy while I listen to it. Is that horrible? He's been turning me on lately, although I know it will be very short lived. I've been taking advantage of the moment. Sorry, but I can't go four years in complete misery. I am a Scorpio woman.
2: (laughs) I would like to give Adrian props for the confession, for the pronouns and for saying her location, because there's a lot of information given in this confession. That is (laughs) hilarious.
0: Yeah, I need to call my mom and find out what's up. (laughs)
2: i love it you know what get it where you can adrian you're being safe you're social distancing you're enjoying a man's voice in your ear why the fuck not I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what that's like, but enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, This one is from Laura, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. Obviously, because of Corona, I have not been able to see my 94-year-old grandmother since March. She's a super interesting lady, and I've always tried to spend time with her, and being reduced to phone calls is sad, but I'm happy to have it. She and I are on the same page when it comes to politics, which I think she appreciates since my dad is on the more conservative side of the spectrum. She is appalled by the Trump, and I like to remember that she's been through 14 presidents. God, that's interesting. To hear. Holy yeah. shit. I want to share something. She told me the other week. When she was a kid, she used to get into fist fights with other kids at school over President FDR. She was aged six <laughs> to eighteen during his long presidency. And I love to think about her being a feisty little liberal eight-year-old grown up in San Francisco, slugging some other kid for wearing short trousers for bashing the New Deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, nothing miraculous other than that. Come on, nothing, that's amazing. Nothing Nothing miraculous other than I get to share what a cool grandma I have. Yes, you do. Oh, and to share cool pod pets. The cow is Priscilla and the sheep is Oliver. <gasps> that's all, you, uh, thanks for all you do. I finally became a patron a few months ago, but still listen to the ad version since it's usually just long enough to be my audio accompaniment to both my morning dog walk and dog jog, all of these
0: this is so look at funny these.
2: okay so if you look at one of the pictures one the one looks like a cow yeah. the other one looks like a sheep and they're both beautiful dogs
0: yeah 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 so that's what she means by cow and sheep the sheep is and the cow is and i was like wait is there a sheep and a cow? oliver and priscilla oh. the cow is priscilla oliver's a, a look beautiful at,
2: pit is oliver the pit
0: no priscilla's the pit no priscilla, oh priscilla's God. the pit i, I know look pit at pit the balls. face they're so adorable. They
2: got a bad rap. I
0: love them so much. All right. They do. They do. It's a shame. Um, finally, we have one more here. We sit, I love how we sit here on a radio slash podcast audio program and, and gush over photos so often. No one else, I think, would be able to get away with that. That's <laughs> so. true. Thank you. Next up from Kimberly, uh, pronouns she and her. Good news. Kimberly says, my husband's best friend recently became a U.S. citizen and one of his adult daughters, 19, was sworn in during the pandemic as a citizen as well. The other is still in process. little backstory. They are chosen family. She and her sister refer to me as Tia and she often comes to me for major life decisions as an additional perspective to dad. Dad is a single dad who had raised her and her sister alone since they were three and six. He's an amazing dad and my nieces are strong, self-sufficient progressive women. Monday night my niece texted me to see if I had time to talk, of course I did. She called, and we spent the next twenty minutes talking with her dad listening on how to vote, what they needed, who they should vote for, what happens when they refuse to vote for the Republican, even when that the only candidate because they live in a very red county in northern Atlanta suburbs. And at the end of the call, they had their plan and they were ready to vote the following afternoon. I got texts uh, of their line, one and a half hours they waited, how prepared they were to vote, chairs, umbrellas, water. And finally, um, the I'm a Georgia voter sticker picture. Two new citizens voting blue in swing state Georgia. I cried. It was beautiful. There is hope.
2: I love it.
0: The fact that you can say swing state Georgia right? is wonderful. I hope they voted for, uh, I don't know if you're in Devin Pandy's district there or what's happening. I think he said North Atlanta, rural suburb, but there's so many great candidates running in in Georgia right now. There just are. And just, it's so wonderful. It, I just think
2: it's amazing that there is a very good chance we're about to flip two Senate seats there. At least there, there's a chance. I mean, not even to say mm. there's, a, I mean, this is Georgia. Who would have thought that we'd Mm. even be calling Georgia a swing state until now?
0: Mm, Yeah, or Iowa or North Carolina. Texas. Texas. Yeah, what the F? Arizona isn't even, it's likely Democrat now. And that was like, what? I grew up there. That is a red AF place. Eight point swing right now in Arizona.
2: Trump won (sighs) by
0: four and he's losing by four to Biden right now. Oh well. Wow. Well, everybody check us out on our live election show results extravaganza. There will be booze uh regardless of the outcome. You'll get to see the McBabes. It's going to be so much fun. I hope uh, I hope you take a minute to stop by. And uh, we'll be live streaming that. We'll, we'll I'll send out more information as we have it. Anyway, that's it. Do you have any final thoughts, Dana, before we get out of here? No. I mean, we are we are almost to the weekend, so just keep
2: just keep Keep on keeping on. We've got single digits. We are less than one Scaramucci from the last day of voting. I'm not going to say the election anymore because it's happening. November 3rd is the last day to vote. Do not miss your opportunity, please.
0: Yes, and walk it in. Hand it in. It's it's no good to do by mail anymore. You got to go and give it to somebody or put it in one of those official drop boxes. If you're in California, make sure it's not one of those Republican drop boxes.
2: Yeah, there should be a list, okay. if you flip over your ballot, at least there was in my district, of telling you exactly where the official drop boxes are so it's on the back of your ballot. Make sure that's what you're following instead of whatever the GOP has put up around the, the your uh, area.
0: Yep, and you can go to iwillvote.com. You can find out there, too. Perfect. Right. Well, thanks, everybody. Wonderful. Until tomorrow, everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's the Beans.